Chapter 6. Gambling and Prize-Fighting The Deansgate district is such an extensive one that I found it impossible to perambulate all its bypaths and indirect crooked ways in the course of a single evening, and thus my steps were led to it a second Saturday night. Passing into Back Dolefield, we looked into Thornley's crib, as disreputable as any in the city, and I had the pleasure of seeing the veteran, a genuine Eccles, with a face that would rival Bardolph's, reclining on the sofa with a couple of old women to bear him company. He had made his own room tolerably comfortable, and there was the usual display of cheap and gaudy ornamentation. Lord Palmerston's jolly face looked straight into mine, and the well-known features of the popular actor, Mr. J. L. Toole, came also under my direct gaze. It may be that the celebrated comedian never imagined he would come so low as this, but he must be willing to pay for his popularity in more ways than one. We also beat up the quarters of Doggy Duff, but he was unfortunately out, and the only occupant of his diggings was a girl who was half asleep on a couch. Doggy is rather a slippery customer, Mac told me, and is so careless about his supervision that he occasionally gets into trouble through his memory playing him false in the matter of reporting himself to the slops. After a little further investigation of the neighbourhood of Cumberland Street, where I was glad to learn much had been done by the owners of recently erected factories, in purchasing of a good deal of cottage property, and letting it only to working people, who, as Mac put it, were poor but square. We turned into Byram Street, Facing the field at the end further from Key Street was a narrow entry sloping at an angle of some thirty degrees, and this was the route which led us into Butterworth's Court and to the residence of Country Pole, a woman of middle age and with a vacancy in her face caused by the loss of an eye which had been kicked out by her pal, Puffer Bill. She was gossiping with a couple of women of the same stamp as herself, and one of these had a large piece of sticking plaster over her forehead as if her particular bill had been attempting a similar experiment to that made in the case of the landlady. They were surly enough to have satisfied Mark Tapley himself, and on our gently inquiring for Puffer, we were told with an oath that he hadn't been there for some months, and good shut to him. I very much questioned whether Puffer's heart was true to Pole still, but fearful of provoking the wrath of that bird of prey, I refrained from gratifying my curiosity. Close to this place was a similar establishment, the occupier of which had done a drag, three months' imprisonment, but had thrown up cross-work for the more lucrative profession of betting, in which he had been nabbed and put in for the modest sum of £75, which was devoted to Her Majesty's service. There were many working people living in this same court, but the proximity of these questionable houses must have a bad effect, and in one square house we saw that this was so for a girl of eighteen years of age was lying dead drunk across two chairs. Her feet touched the ground at one end of this hard bed, and her head was hanging down with her hair streaming onto the bricks at the other. Several women were in the same place with two or three children, but they took the whole business as a matter of course, and went on with their supper as if drunkenness was nothing more than an everyday occurrence, as I suppose it really was. The children had a good example set them certainly by the scene, there was a dirty bed with tumbled clothes near the fireplace, and it was used in place of chairs by several of those present. Living and bedroom all in one is the best description, and the details can be readily sketched in. Such an arrangement is by no means uncommon, 
for in another court in the spinning-field vicinity I had before seen a large bed occupying half the living-room and coming flush with the fireplace. On that bed two children were sleeping, undressed and with the blankets pulled over them, and upon the same couch two men and a woman were sitting, with their feet on the fender, making their midnight meal. The children turned uneasily in their sleep, and the dirty brown bedclothes, redolent of humanity, the odour is so peculiar I cannot otherwise convey my meaning, were tossed about in all directions. How many creatures slept nightly in that bed, I shudder to think, but use is second nature, and no doubt they had become inured to any little disagreeable incident that might arise. In Little Key Street, the class of persons also appeared to be of the lowest of the hard-working population, and in some of the courts the scanty furniture and the squalid appearance of the kitchens showed how hard was the struggle for existence. Being Saturday night, many of the women were washing linen for the Sabbath, and across the rooms were stretched clotheslines, on which ragged shirts and well-worn underclothing were slowly drying. We made our way into one of the houses, and hearing voices at the end of the passage, we went forward and came upon eight or nine lads gambling in the back washing-house. They were gathered round a small barrel in a hole in which was stuck a candle, and for a minute or so we watched them without being perceived. The youngest was about twelve years old, and the ages of the others would not exceed fifteen or sixteen, and yet they were gambling with all the eagerness of most accomplished and inveterate gamesters. The game was turned by them, speaking, or spin halfpenny, and is a very simple one. A member of the circle puts his coin down in the centre, covering it with his hand, and the others fly their coins and speak in turn. Those who guess rightly receive a halfpenny from the centre man, those who are wrong pay him a similar amount. Suddenly a youth who had exhibited the true gambler's instinct in showing heads every time caught sight of us, and seeing strange faces he gave the alarm. The barrel was kicked over, the candle doused, and the juvenile rues were scampering off in the dark. They fell pell-mell over each other, in getting to the back door, colliding with the barrel which rolled towards us, and in another minute the clatter of small clogs resounded in the back entry, which led into another street. We were greatly amused at witnessing the stampede, for it was plain that they suspected we were going forcibly to interfere with their amusement. Only fancy, laughed Mac, the kids took us for the blues. Police. The idea was certainly a ludicrous one. We were by this time in Key Street itself, and in passing along we called at a lodging house in which were two shady characters playing at draughts, and a third acting the part of critic and spectator. It was a dull place and had no noticeable features worthy of remark. It had, however, once been a beer house, and under the title of the Red, White and Blue, had been notorious all over the country. It has suffered disestablishment, like many of its brethren, and fame no longer records its glories. The last place we visited on the Wood Street side of Deansgate was a large rambling corner house at the junction of Tickle and Longworth Streets, kept by a notable dog-fancier and exponent of the noble art, which is dying out with the suppression of the P.R. It is a house with a history, and the back kitchen could tell many a tale of battles fought and won within its narrow precincts. This kitchen is only some ten feet square, and a sofa runs along one side, and a wooden seat along the two other walls, while the fireplace occupies the fourth side. The ceiling is not very high, 
and a wooden beam near the door makes it appear still lower. From this beam stretches a small gas bracket, which gives light to the apartment. I had heard of some famous ancient rendezvous of the stars of the ring in bygone days, and I questioned Mac, who I knew was one of the prettiest men with the gloves that ever stepped inside the ropes. "'Why, you've no idea, sir,' Mac volubly commenced, "'of what's taken place here years ago. "'Many a smart lad has towed the mark here,' "'pointing to the middle of the brick floor, "'and some of the best in the country have been licked by the old uns. "'I've seen it myself when the kitchen's been full up, "'and all un has had to stand on the sofa and benches all round, you see, "'off the floor, for we had no ring. "'One second was down there, in the corner of the fireplace, "'and the other in the opposite corner.' It was sharp and quick, for there was no funking or getting away except into the fireplace. It was all up and down, rough and tumble, and beautiful slogging work it was too. You can't get anything like it now. They've stopped it altogether. Been one lately, did you say? Well, about two years ago, Tabby Edwards and Brocky Bill had a set to for a couple of quid, two pound, aside. It wasn't bad, but they were both lushed, drunk, before they began, and they got cut up heavily. Yes, Tabby won though he'd got the gravel rash, cut face, and the bricks there when he was down. There upstairs was a regular ring, stakes and ropes and all in the top room, a big place, and some of the spryest men with the gloves have stripped up there that I've ever seen. Many a big benefit has been brought off when young Cheer and Wareham's lot were about. It was kept by a pro, fighting man, then, but it's all UP now. The story seemed incredible, for the house is not fifty yards from Deansgate itself, but the truth is too well known to many to require corroboration. I was not sorry to hear that it was at an end, though I could sympathise with the old pugilist in his keen regret that the present age was so degenerate as scarcely to recognise the necessity of legitimate boxing being one of the first attainments of our youth. I met several fighting men, but they all agreed that the ring is now quite out of date, and even glove fights are looked after by the police as much as the genuine battles used to be. One big hulking fellow with a face as hard as wood and cut and scarred all over, wherein deep dints of old wounds did remain, was particularly indignant. "'What's a man like me to do?' he asked. "'I was trained up to it and made heaps of thickens, sovereigns, whenever I fought, and I didn't care a kiss my hand for a thrashing, for I was nussed like a kid.' I've stripped one day and got a smasher on my ribs and spike through foot, but I never let on, told his second. The peelers drove us off and I went at it again next day and licked my man, though my ribs had gone stiff. Then you could do something without being made a fuss about in papers, but now I only go round to gaffs, fairs, and spar with one or two dummies for a trifle. That won't keep me, and what can I do but go crooked? If I put a bloke up, garrotter man. Can you blame me? I didn't think it worth while to preach morality to this untutored savage, so standing him a soothing drink, I left him to his meditations. Having finished the Wood Street district, we crossed over and commenced an inspection of the Peter Street side of Deansgate. End of part six.